0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: The DWLCC, Brandon.
0: Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey.
1: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
0: The question that we need to ask is why do people embrace satanic lies rather than the truth? Why would somebody want a satanic lie? When you have the truth in Jesus Christ, why would you want to turn away from that? Well, it's rather simple if you'll look over one book to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul lays this out, and it really makes sense when you see it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And here's the reason why. He said, Timothy... Preach the word. He has said in chapter 3 that it is the inspired word of God. It is God breathed out. It is profitable to equip men and women for every good work. Now preach it. In every season, preach it. Be instant in season, out of season. In other words, there is no season that you stop. Always be about teaching the word of God. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There is a time coming, he said, when people will not endure sound doctrine. So you've got to speak now while they will.
1: Welcome to Verse by Verse as we are studying in Hebrews chapter 13 about godly living. As we start our program today, Pastor Steve is going to take us back to a little bit of World War II history, when a certain American general was asked by the Nazis if he wanted to surrender the city of Baston, France. In a very similar way, Satan, who is constantly at war with us, wants us to surrender. I'm not going to say any more about that because I want to let Pastor Steve walk you through all of it. As I said, our main focus is Hebrews 13, but we will also be looking at 2 Timothy chapter four, where Paul talks about the importance of sound doctrine. Well, I see Pastor Steve is ready to go, so let's jump into today's program. I'd
0: like you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're gonna look at three verses and see them in context and see how they apply to our lives beginning at verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which those who were thus occupied were not benefited." During World War II, early in the famous Battle of the Bulge, American General Anthony C. McAuliffe found his troops surrounded by the Germans. The opposing Nazi general, sensing a quick victory, sent word to surrender immediately. Now the reply of General McAuliffe has gone down in military history as one of the most famous one-line responses. He just answered with, in fact, not just one line, one word. In response to the Nazi general's call for surrender, McAuliffe said one word, nuts. That's his word, nuts. And you know, when we read a portion of scripture, when I read this portion of scripture and understood it this week, my response was just like McAuliffe's, nuts. Because if you understand Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9, then you understand that these verses are indicating to us that the enemy of our souls, Satan, wants us to surrender to him. Now, how specifically does he want us to surrender? What are we talking about? The key phrase in these verses is found in verse 9, "...do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings." These Hebrews were tempted by false teaching, and Satan is always behind false teaching. They were tempted by false teaching to be led away from sound doctrine about Jesus Christ, to surrender sound doctrine for a pack of lies, for heresy. They were tempted to go back into Old Testament Judaism, which God said has been set aside. The Old Covenant is over. They were tempted to go back into that with its emphasis on dietary laws. That's why verse 9 goes on to say, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, or established is the thought by grace, and not food. So why is he talking about foods? Well, because these Jewish people were tempted to go back to the Old Testament regulations, the dietary laws, the kosher foods, things like that. Now, we need to understand, if we're to understand this broader issue, is that Satan is behind all false teaching. He's the one who calls us to surrender the truth for a doctrine of lies. That's important for you to understand. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said that Satan was a liar. In fact, he said he was the father of lies, that is to say that it originated with Satan. He was the first liar, and he still continues to lie. In fact, Jesus said that there is no truth in him. There's absolutely no truth in him. In fact, even when he says something that sounds truthful, it's a distortion of the truth. It's never just straightforward truth. In Revelation 12, verse 9, the Bible calls Satan the deceiver, who at that time and during the tribulation period will deceive the whole world. I'd like you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, we read this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away or depart from the faith. That is, not just personal faith, but the faith that is the New Testament doctrine, the truth of the Bible. Some will fall away from believing the sound doctrines about Jesus Christ. They will be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of what? Demons. Demons. Now, the question that we need to ask is, why do people embrace satanic lies rather than the truth? Why would somebody want a satanic lie? When you have the truth in Jesus Christ, why would you want to turn away from that? Well, it's rather simple. If you'll look over one book to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul lays this out, and it really makes sense when you see it. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And here's the reason why. He said, Timothy... Preach the word. He has said in chapter 3 that it is the inspired word of God. It is God breathed out. It is profitable to equip men and women for every good work. Now preach it. In every season, preach it. Be instant in season, out of season. In other words, there is no season that you stop. Always be about teaching the word of God. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There is a time coming, he said, when people will not endure sound doctrine. So you've got to speak now while they will. But wanting, and here's the reason they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. That's why. Because people want to hear what will justify their desires. They don't want the holy and high standards of Scripture. They want to hear what makes them feel good, so they'll justify and excuse their behavior. That's why people will leave the truth for a pack of lies. Now, how does Satan approach people to teach them error? He doesn't appear to them. You've never seen Satan. I've never seen Satan. How does he do this? Second Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, beginning at verse 13. For such men, Paul writes, are false apostles. There are certain men who are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. There are certain men who appear to be godly teachers. They appear in those days to have been apostles. Verse 14, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end shall be according to their deeds. You know where Satan works most? Not on the street with people who aren't interested in any kind of faith. He works in the church. That's where he works. He doesn't need to deal with people who've already rejected him. He attacks those who already know him, and he attacks us by sending people who are false teachers, who disguise themselves as being teachers of righteousness. He uses people who appear to be Christians, and they appear to be biblical. Oh, they say marvelous Bible words, but they aren't true teachers. They talk about Christ in the Bible, but you know what they really do? They twist Scripture. They'll talk about Scripture, but they twist it. They pull it out of context. They say a verse, and they say, this is what it's saying. This is a principle. This is God's Word. And then you look at that, and it's just pulled out of context. Or they assign new meanings to biblical terminology. For example, they may say, Jesus, yes, is the Son of God, but... They do not mean by that what the Bible means, that he is the only eternal Son of God, meaning that he is God the Son. Or they may say, yes, salvation is by faith, but what they really mean is salvation is by faith and works. I'm telling you that Satan has a strategy. He has a strategy, and he uses people like this who appear to be very kind, appear to be solid, appear to be biblical... They may even have a lot of people supporting them financially, but that's his strategy, and we've got to be discerning and understand. So we need to understand Satan's strategy, and it's this. Once you are a Christian, his strategy is to tempt you to surrender the old biblical gospel of grace for some new anti-biblical doctrine, some new teaching, and to that we ought to say nuts. But, you know, we need to do a little bit more than have a silly word that expresses our resistance We need to also have a biblical strategy to combat satanic deception, and that strategy is given to us in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. It's the passage we're going to look at this morning. Now, before we examine this passage, let me say that one of the things that we are all susceptible to is to this notion that time changes things in the Christian faith. And this is what's happening out there. There's this attitude that time changes things. That certain things in the Bible are only cultural. Have you heard that? It's just cultural. And since culture changes, you got to get with the times. Paul was writing that to their culture. Culture changes, so we have to change. That's just cultural. That's not for us. And so people come along and they change the Bible doctrine. They say that was for the first century, but we're in the 20th century. Or... Here's the attitude, hard times and persecution cause us to take another look at the Bible. You know, maybe we misinterpreted something, and we've got to look at it again. And maybe if we just make some adjustments here and some minor changes, and maybe even some major changes, it might be easier for us. Now that appears to be the thinking of the Hebrews, at least some of them, as some of them were trying to hold on to Christianity, but they wanted to change the doctrine a little bit to conform to Old Testament Judaism, and you can't do that. You can't have a Judaistic Christianity or a Christianized Judaism. And the writer's message to them and to us is, don't change a thing. You don't need to change anything. Maintain doctrinal stability, and that's what we need to understand this morning. We're going to look at three reasons why we should never change our doctrine and belief. Assuming that we are solid, assuming that we have taken the Bible and interpreted it in its context and interpreted it in its broad context and understood the message that was given to these people. Don't change your doctrine. Don't change your doctrine in thinking about Jesus Christ. The first reason to not change your doctrine about Christ is, number one, and this is what he's saying to the Hebrews, first of all, and then we'll apply it to us. Number one, their spiritual leaders never changed. He said, you Hebrews must maintain doctrinal stability and not change your doctrine about Christ because your spiritual leaders never changed. Let's begin by looking at verse 7. He says, remember those who led you. Now let's stop here. Remember those who led you. Three times in this chapter, the writer is going to mention the spiritual leaders of these Hebrews. In verse 17, he will say, and we'll study this when we get to it, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Then he'll close the letter. In verse 24, he'll say, Greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. So he says, greet all of your leaders. So he speaks about the leaders who were watching over their souls, and he speaks about the leaders of the other church. But in verse 7, the difference between the leaders referred to in this verse and the ones referred to later in the chapter is this. The ones referred to in verses 17 and 24 were alive. They were present in the sense that they were contemporaries. They were alive. But the leaders of verse 7 were now dead. They were the original leaders. They were gone. They had died. They were the past leaders of the Hebrews, the ones who first brought them the gospel. And how do we know this? Well, basically because verse 7 says, remember those who led you. Remember. In other words, they were to call back to their minds what they knew about these leaders because these leaders were no longer there. You wouldn't have to say remember if they were there. They had died. They had moved on. They were in heaven, and we don't know much about this Hebrew church, and so we don't know much about the leaders, the men who brought them the word of God, but we do know something significant about them. Verse 7 goes on to say, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. These leaders brought them God's word. That's what we do know, and probably this ties in with Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, where the writer says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard? So apparently some eyewitnesses came, maybe even apostolic men who came and taught them the word of God. And not only did they teach them the word of God, but they lived it out before them. Notice verse 7 goes on to say, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, that is, they brought them the gospel, They were their missionaries, and considering the outcome or the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Now, what does it mean to consider the outcome of their way of life? Well, the Hebrews, what he's saying is you people are to scan closely how these past spiritual leaders lived out their lives from beginning to end. You are to look at their lives as a sum total, and the whole course of their lives lies before you, and you are to remember them, and you are to review their lives, and then when you see that and you remember how consistent they lived, you are to imitate their faith. The term outcome or result can mean the end of one's life, so it could be that he's saying you are to look at how they died. They died without changing a thing. Or it could mean, and I lean towards it, that it means the sum total You ought to look from beginning to end and see that they were consistent. And that's the point. The point is this. The original spiritual leaders of the Hebrews were faithful to the end. They never wavered. There was never a scandal in their lives. They never changed their faith in Christ. Therefore, the Hebrews shouldn't change anything either. Why should they change a thing? They ought to imitate the steadfastness of those who taught them the Word of God. Now, that's what I see as the whole point of verse 7. They are to look at them and they are to say, these men who were our missionaries were consistent. They never changed. They never departed into Judaism. They never departed away from the sound teaching about Christ. Therefore, we must not. Now, how does this apply to us? The history of the church is filled with men and women who died as they have lived by faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't leave the faith. They didn't depart from the faith. They are our models. They ended their lives well. During our lifetime, my lifetime, your lifetime, God sends people into our lives to teach us and influence us for Jesus Christ. It obviously should be your pastors, but also it could be authors of Christian books, radio teachers, conference speakers, men, women of God who influence you in some way. They teach you God's word, but then they die. They're older than you or perhaps younger, and they still die before you do. But, you know, they die without a scandal. They were consistent. They remained true to the end. Their names and their behavior did not disgrace the name of Christ. They didn't go off into some heretical teaching. It is those people who prove to us that Jesus Christ and what we believe about him is the right way. It's those people that prove to us that you don't need any new teaching, you just need to follow the same Christ that they told you about. Are there are men in my life, and I was thinking about it this week, and certainly this is not an exhaustive list, but I think about the men who have taught me the Word of God, who have died. Men like Donald Gray Barnhouse, who is a great pastor and Bible teacher in Philadelphia for many years, and Barnhouse just thundered the Word of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a... Welsh doctor who gave up his medical practice to become a great expository teacher. J. Vernon McGee, who was so faithful to expound the word of God and never a scandal in his life, never some disgraceful act that would harm the cause of Christ. There was Franklin Logsdon and Irvin Robertson who stood in this pulpit when I was installed as pastor here and told me to preach the word and men who personally counseled me, and especially men like Irvin Robertson, who taught me at Moody Bible Institute, and there are others. I look at those men, and I say that they never changed. Now, they grew in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, but they never departed from the faith. And, Lord, I want to be like that. And I hope that someday, after I'm gone and the other elders here are gone, you'll be saying things like, you know, Krylov lived out his faith without changing it. There's no need for us to depart from the Christ of the Gospels. I'm going to live that way too. There's a great song that Steve Green sings called, May All Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful. I don't know if that's the title of it, but that's what it says. And that's true. May all who come behind us find us faithful. There'll be people who will look at you, your children, those who you teach in Sunday school, those who you disciple, those who you influence, those who you've witnessed to, those who you've led to Christ. Are they going to be able to look at your life and say, now I see from the beginning to the end that this person was consistent, and this person followed Christ, therefore I must follow him. That's what the writer is saying, the writer to the Hebrews. Those who led you, you're to imitate their faith. He doesn't say imitate them as far as their personality goes. You might not even like their personality, but you imitate their faith, and their faith was in a christ who never changed. And that brings us to the second reason to not change your doctrine about Jesus Christ. The first is, your spiritual leaders never change. Their leaders never change. And by God's grace, yours will not either. The second reason is that Jesus Christ never changes. And here's this famous verse, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes. And the writer says, end forever. Probably more messages from the book of Hebrews have been preached on this one verse than any other verse. But I think that it's a very misunderstood verse. Very misunderstood. So let me first explain what it does not mean, and then we'll see what it does mean. A lot of people look at this verse and interpret it to mean something like this. Since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he must do the same things today. That is, the same things that he did in the past. And for example, what they would say, this is how they would apply it. They'd say, look, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yesterday when Jesus was on earth, 2,000 years ago, he healed everyone who came to him, therefore he inevitably must do the same today, since he never changes. And that's a rather common interpretation of this verse, that whatever he did while on earth, or whatever he might have done during Old Testament times, he's gonna have to do today, because he never changes. Well, Notice again verse 8. Let's read it again. I want you to notice it closely. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Notice it does not say that Jesus Christ does the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that he what? Is the same. This has nothing to do with what he does. This has everything to do with what he is. The point that the writer to the Hebrews is making is that Jesus Christ, in his character... In his character, never changes. He is always the same. And do you know why? Because he is perfect. And perfection cannot be improved upon. You cannot improve upon perfection. He couldn't possibly change. Now, he has changed in the way he has ruled this world. He has changed not in his character but he changes in the way that he rules the world. For example, we don't sacrifice little lambs today. We don't have new revelation coming today. He doesn't rule us that way. We don't have apostles today. We're not in a temple today. You're in a building. This isn't the temple. There is no temple in Jerusalem. So he does change in the sense of the way he rules the world just as you make adjustments in the way you have ruled over your children and led them throughout every age. So he has changed, but his character never changes. The Jesus Christ that you accepted in the past is the same one that you need to follow all of your life.
1: What did you think when Pastor Steve explained some of the common misconceptions of Hebrews 13, verse 8? Well, for me, I appreciated the way he explained it, The character of Jesus never changes. He is perfect, and there is no way to improve perfect. Thus, Jesus couldn't possibly change. Because of that, we never have to change our theology. Jesus doesn't change with the times. And we don't need to alter our view of Christ to make him more relevant or contemporary. We certainly have a lot to think about after today's verse-by-verse program. If you would like to think it over again, let me encourage you to sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. You can do that at versebyverseradio.org. Look for the podcast link on the right-hand side of the page. That also gives you the option of listening to Verse by Verse whenever it is convenient. Next time on Verse by Verse, we will pick up where we left off talking about our unchangeable Christ.